Coming up on today's show, Team Tomahawk is back with a free agency megapod. I'm in Hollywood. Odell Beckham Jr. is a Cleveland Brown. And the NFL offseason is in full swing. All this and more on a brand new episode of the Tomahawk Show. Tomahawk, it's been far too long. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Tomahawk Show, presented by the good folks over at Uninterrupted. Listen, before we get into anything, we want to make sure you are following us on social media. That way you can interact with the show. Our handle is at Tomahawk Show. Joe's handle is at JoeThomas73, and I'm mm. at Hawk. Mm. Use the hashtag Tomahawk. Send us your comments, questions, and, or just tell us how your day is going, man. Speaking of catching up, because it's been a while. We haven't had a show since the week after Super Bowl. We got Joe Thomas here live in person for the first time in Hollywood. Joe, what's been going on? Well, it's been a good month. A um, little bit of time away from the media circuit, mm-hmm. from the craziness of all the shows we were doing all this year. So uh, catching back up with the fam, that's always fun. But You know it. I'm actually out here right now with NFL Network. Oh, doing some work with those good folks over there in Culver City, uh, doing Total Access all this week, which happened to be like the perfect week to be out here doing Total Access for the NFL Network because... That's how you know the NFL is rigged. The Browns exactly. were able to pull off the greatest trade in NFL <laughs> history, and they had a big week picking up some other guys, but we'll talk about that later. So, um, so how yeah, do you, it's been fun. So what do, you, what do you do with the NFL Network? You only do Total, total Access? No, so the first year I have with NFL Networks was a little bit of everything. Uh-huh. So I did a couple Thursday night pregame shows. I've done a few total access shows. Um, I was involved with the combine, breaking down oh, yeah, the, that's right. the big fellas doing their individual drills. We both did combine shows. I did a, a show with ESPN, yeah. live following the combine. Yeah, You're out in Indianapolis. Would you say we're the top two sports media hosts in the game right now? Oh, easily. Well, especially right now, since most everybody else is not doing <laughs> jack shit. Bro, we are legit. <laughs> like, with the new trade and all the hoopla around the Browns, this could very well, and I, I know we like say a lot of things tongue-in-cheek, this could be the best podcast in all of sports over the next calendar year. Well, certainly we could repeat as the most downloaded podcast in Ohio, I would hope. <laughs> exactly. We need two-time. The <laughs> two two-time time champion. If we do that, we need to buy ourselves rings. You know, You're the, right. the funny thing on Twitter was now that the Browns have won the Super Bowl in 2020, uh, <laughs> according to social media, uh, everyone's like, they need to give you a Super Bowl ring. And I'm like, uh, dude, we haven't even made the playoffs, first of all. but Playoff rings. <laughs> in spite of all that chatter, if we go back-to-back – Ohio most downloaded podcast champions. I think we need to have rings made up for that. Easily. Two time champs. We're definitely getting two rings done. Two big CZ diamonds right in the middle. <laughs> Just like us. Two big cubic zirconias. Two, Not two diamonds big, in the rough. We're cubic zirconias we're in the rough. We're two big phonies right in the middle <laughs> of a, a, a brass ring. I seen you on TV with my old roommate, um, Marvin Lewis. <laughs> And I, I couldn't help but get a little I, bit I of FOMO. I was trying to think really quickly who that could have been <laughs> because you were a roommate with John Greco, one of my best friends yes. um, from my time in Cleveland. Yes. And so I'm thinking, 
Greco. It wasn't him. Was it somebody else? Uh, <laughs> oh, Marvin Lewis. Yes, my Which old roommate. I have a hard time every time I see him not bringing that story up. Please do. But but I know he's going to look at me like, you fucking idiot. That <laughs> either A, never happened, or it happened and I'm trying to scrub it from my memory because it was so hurtful for my brain. You think I want to be remembered by being Andrew Hawkins' roommate? <laughs> I couldn't help but have FOMO looking at the TV and seeing you both in a room that I wasn't in. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is definitely bullshit. We have to figure some things out. Oh, my God. That's funny. So, seriously, though, if I bring that up to him, will he remember? Yes, he'll know. He'll he'll remember. Will he remember you? Because you always <laughs> wonder, like, you, you spend a lot of times with these coaches, of uh-huh. course, right? And I never played for Marvin, but I played against him 22 times or something like 21 times in my career. So you would think that they know you, but at the same time, the dude's been coaching for, like, 25 years in right. the NFL, and he's got – up, you know, thousands of guys that he's coached individually. Right. And then he's got tens of thousands that he's coached against. So you wonder, out of all those, how many does he really know their face and their name? Right. You know, he knows their name on the roster and the scouting report and maybe on the field. But other than that, do they really know who you are? He, please tell me Marvin knew who you were. He did. Okay. But good. I'm wondering if he's going to know who you were. <laughs> well, you played, you've probably been in, at the game with him as many times as I have. <laughs> <laughs> 21 games. He would def. Mark knows who I am. That's my guy. All right. He like basically like gave me the start of my career. All right. So we're very connected so in that way. Well, give me give me something that I can tell him because I think I'm going on with him uh, today or tomorrow. And uh, give me something that if I say it to him, it'll make him laugh or make him interested because I'm sure he's got a million people that come up to him and say. Hey, do you know such and such? <laughs> oh, he's my friend. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know him. You know him. Do you know Chad Ochocinco? <laughs> I know him. I follow him I on Twitter. I saw him on TV once. You can say that. Just say, Hawk, your old roommate tells me to tell you what's up. That'll get <laughs> Is a he going to give me a blank look or he'll remember that? He'll probably give you a blank look and chuckle at the same okay. time. That's just That's his all look. I'm looking for is the chuckle. Yeah, he'll give you a chuckle yeah. for no, sure. No, but he did great. We had him on the other night and uh, he's just trying to figure out if he wants to do TV you know, what are you going to do? Because when you get fired as a head coach, it's like, what's next? Right. And and you don't know if you want to go full bore with the TV stuff, which a lot of times the coaches, they like because it's not a lot of hours, but there's not that same pressure and excitement that you got when you were out there actually coaching kids up. Exactly. So it'll be interesting to see what he wants to do. And he was a head coach for so long, it's not like he's just going to go back to being a coordinator like right, right. away. Like, like how, he doesn't yeah. need to do that. No, why would he do that? First of all, he's got – a lot of money from his time right. as a head coach, so he doesn't have to go back right away and just take any coordinator job. But at the same time, I would think that a head coach probably has a little piece of him that thinks maybe the game has passed me a little bit because I haven't been involved in that game plan uh, grind like you are when you're right. a coordinator. And he hasn't been a coordinator in, what, 15, 17 years? I yeah. Mean. I mean, and even just in general, when you spend your whole life doing football, the ultimate – job is just to get paid to talk about what you already know yeah it's or what already sweet. comes to your mind like it's that, that's why we got the easiest jobs in the world yeah, like we, we don't have to get hit anymore we just talk about other people getting we hit. genuinely just love coming and just talking and we're like <laughs> people will actually listen to us just talk this is amazing speaking of just talking i have a new podcast joe i was just gonna set you up you didn't have to cut me my off bad. like that but my bad needing dough yes the number one or maybe number two number podcast two. yes in the sports Podcast space? <laughs> yeah. Well, the Apple charts. So we hit the number Apple two charts. in the Apple charts. I saw that. It was awesome. Congratulations, man. Thank you. You know, so what? basically what it is, it's 
we do a video series at Uninterrupted called Needing Dough, where Maverick Carter, who is LeBron's business manager, talks with who doesn't need dough, who doesn't need dough, hires people that need dough. Um, he hires like people me and you. <laughs> exactly. But so they talk about essentially like how they learn to manage life changing amounts of money from being a professional athlete, and most of the guests grew up without that. So they talk. Their guest list is like it's almost as big as ours on the Tomahawk Show. But they had mm. people like LeBron, um, Gronkowski, Serena Williams. Mm. The Bennett brothers, Lindsey Vaughn, like all these big names. And so we turn those longer conversations into a podcast, and I am the host of that. So I kind of give more of a everyday person's take on certain uh, situations with money or stories about what I've heard in the locker room or that I've had a part of myself. So it's really good, man. First episode went to number two. Mm. Um, so, that, I mean, that makes me the podcast king. I would, I would think so, but... On a serious note, I think you have a great perspective to be the host of this show because you saw your siblings go pro yes, even before you did. So you've kind of experienced going from not having a lot to mm-hmm. all of a sudden somebody in your family having that when you didn't have it. Right, with no guidance too. With no guidance. Yes. And then all of a sudden now you're in their sh- shoes. So you've, in my opinion, you've got probably the most unique perspective on that topic out of anybody, you know, outside of maybe the Gronkowskis who've got right. five who've out of ten five times. that right. are pro athletes. Um, but yeah, but that's essentially it. So, I mean, everything that I do, like even now with the media stuff or the business stuff or the way I've handled like retirement, I get all of that from seeing my brother do it 10 years before me. It, really? I kid you not, it was like watching somebody live your life 10 years ahead of you. Mm. And I'm the redo and the do-over, so I get to say, oh, okay, that didn't work. Let me do this instead. <laughs> oh, that worked really great for him, so I'm going to do that as well. You know, and it's yeah. basically somebody gave me the answers to the test. Yeah. You know? Pretty Speaking awesome. of answers to the test, Joe, what are we talking next? We're talking Mountain Dew because I heard that you've got some stuff going on with Mountain Dew that you may want to share because, as we all know, I drink the, uh, the black coffee. That's, that's my vice. But for you, you're a Mountain Dew guy. I am like a Mountain a, Dew guy. I don't know what, what stuff I have going on. I thought you were telling me that you've got a sponsorship, hopefully, with Mountain Dew. And no, well, I, I've been talking to Mountain Dew. Obviously, we've been tweeting back and forth on the Twitter. A lot of uh, and whatnot. DMs sliding into each other's DMs. Yeah, we've been. Hey, Mountain made, Dew, you don't know we're how still, I feel about We're you. still in the DM slide phase. <laughs> um, beyond me, just you know, just drinking it daily. That's, do, you have, do you have a unlimited supply? Like uh, Yes, I pay for it. Like as you long as I have pay for your Mountain Dew, of course, for as as much endorsement as you give them, I cannot believe that you're not on a lifetime Mountain Dew supply. Yeah, no, I don't have a lifetime Mountain Dew. I have to pay. I, I can't. Well, if I gave well, the, well, you may not have a lifetime <laughs> supply, but you've got a cake what that's been molded this? in your face. <laughs> oh wow, God, that's the, that's a more beautiful version of yeah, yourself. That's me. <laughs> what is this? Well, since you were the uh, one-time defending <laughs> runner-up for the podcast top ranking charts, we figured you deserved a a Hall of Fame bust. A Hall of Fame bust of yourself. I am giving. A, I am sitting here in the podcast studio, <laughs> uninterrupted in LA in Hollywood, and they just walked in and gave me a life-size bust. This is life-size for me <laughs> of myself. A Hall of Fame bust. Yes. From very, Mountain Dew. I think it's from Mountain Dew. It's very special. Let well, me see. What's in the, is it bag for me? Yes, it is. What is in this wow. bag? Can I open it right now? Yes, you can. It's, it's actually, they just poured <laughs> two two-liter bottles of Mountain Dew in that duffel bag, so be careful when you open it. 
I gotta take these headphones off. Oh, he's so excited. Oh. I hope for the people that are watching at home, they can see the true joy on Andrew's face right now. Oh, my gosh. Listen to me. They like came through with a 12-pack of Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew made me a bust of myself. <laughs> Joe, I got a bust before you did. So I think what you need to do is give an acceptance speech. Now that you are you know in the what? Hall of Fame, we All need right. a speech. I'd like to, first off, give honor to God for everything that uh, I've been able to do with Mountain Dew. Um, look at... Big shout out to Mountain Dew, number one, who is <laughs> the catalyst so. for everything that I've done in my life. <laughs> Listen, this is I, this is an honest to God story. When I was a senior in high school, my oh, first wow. He's game. He's getting really emotional. Listen, the first game of my senior year, it was halftime. I had like two touchdowns in the first half. At halftime, I walked to the concession stand and bought a Mountain Dew <laughs> because we weren't in the locker room. We were like out, like their locker room was like messed up or something. I snuck and bought a Mountain Dew in the first game of my senior year. I drank a Mountain Dew, and in my high school, I am a legend for that. Played the second half on a full stomach of Mountain Dew <laughs> and scored like an extra three touchdowns. So I like me and Mountain Dew go together like pancakes and syrup. Mm, so the wow. fact that Mountain Dew, am I a Hall of Famer to Mountain Dew? Is this what this means? Did you hear that, Joe? Andrew Hawkins. I got, I'm like really talkative now because I'm excited. It's what happens when I get like <laughs> amped up. I am a Hall of Famer to Mountain Dew. And Mountain Dew is a Hall of Famer to me. How many people this. are in the Mountain Dew Hall of Fame? Or mascots? There's am I the first? Can I be the first are inductee? Are you the first? I am the oh one and only. Oh, my God. So I'm the first lineman in history. That's my claim to fame. Yes. You're and the first Mountain Dew Hall of Famer in their history. Get, make now, sure you get a good special. shot of this. You're looking at a couple of firsts right here. A couple of firsts here. Pretty special. Mountain Dew Hall of Famer. I am the first. Wow. You guys really got a so statue So what are the made. benefits that come with being in the Mountain Dew Hall of Fame? Yes. What is Because I know. Uh, Even if it's just a 12-pack, you can count me <laughs> in. That is, I will take that. Remember a few months ago, um, one of the <laughs> fo Pro Football Hall of Famers, Wanted to get lifetime medical and like a $250,000 a year salary for all the Pro Football Hall of Famers. Who was that? Was it like um, I don't Eric know, Dickerson man. or something yeah, like Eric that? Yeah, Eric Dickerson. Was that the one? And uh, so I think you need to get a similar petition started for the Mountain Dew Hall of Famers to get like you know, lifetime, lifetime Mountain, Dew. Mountain Dew, lifetime salary, health and benefits. Is this like a plaque? Are I'm we gonna, certifying can I, can I, can I read this? The Hall of I'm going to read this on read air what the, the, the letter Mountain Dew just handed me. This little gym came in this week and made us think of you, mostly because it is you. We had it made to celebrate your hometown holiday. GD wrote that. 1020, 10, by the way, is my hometown holiday day. And even though we didn't hit 20K retweets, which everyone remembers at the Tomahawk, we had a campaign for me to get 20K and build a statue for the Andrew Hawkins Day. It said it came, enough retweets came in for a full statue. We did it for 3,253 retweets which calls for something fun. Enjoy this bus now and forever in honor of October 20th, Andrew Hawkins Day, Mountain Dew. So Andrew Hawkins Day, come on, give it up for Mountain Dew, please. So what they're saying is this is our participation trophy. No, for, no, 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 no. For getting 1.5% uh, of the retweets they, that They're saying necessary. a couple of things. They're saying that I am the greatest Mountain Dew drinker of all time. I don't think anyone who has drank as much Mountain Dew as I have has accomplished the things that we have. I'd agree. Also, they're saying that Andrew Hawkins Day is now a official Mountain Dew holiday within the company, and really? that I am the first overall inductee into the Mountain Dew Hall of Fame. So a lot of things going. There's a lot special. of things. I, 
I'm good at, I don't know if those are things are official or not, but I'm going to do it. That's what I'm going to say on the air. So now it's a real thing. Well, as much as I'd like to sit and talk about you and your <laughs> mini Mountain Dew bust. Uh, Thank you, Mountain Dew. One more time for Mountain Dew. You <laughs> don't understand. Thanks, Wait till my brothers and sisters hear about this, bro. You know, when they came through the door, I was hoping it was a cake. You know, you, you, you did cakes. say cake. Yeah, you know, you know how they can, they can make cakes look like anything these days. So you're upset that thinking, it's a statue and yeah, not a cake. I was thinking, oh sweet, we're going to be able to eat cake this morning. So I could. I was thinking about splitting you right down the middle of your skull. I was thinking there was a lot of frosting on that part. Oh my gosh, Joe, look at this. Okay, I'm a, we got the show to get get to. Let's get to the show. We're going to get to the show because apparently. The Browns are now the center of the NFL football universe. Yes. The epicenter. Is that the right term? Yeah, that's that's the right term. So, big moves from the Browns this offseason already. Traded for Odell Beckham. That was obviously the big one. So, maybe let's start with that. What was your first Who? Wait a minute. Reaction? Hold on, Joe. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off and get the... Who the hell set that up? I don't Who? know. TD just told me about it. Really? You had no idea? No, he was just like... Hey, make sure you start talking about Mountain Dew because we got something special for Hawk. All right, I'll, I'll get with TD afterwards. I need I need some answers. Maybe we'll cover that in the next Tomahawk. Yeah. What the what the heck is really going on? Sounds I don't good know. to me. All right, so Browns OBJ is now a Brown. Take it away, Joe. That's what I did. Was just toss it to you. I okay. Say, what was your first reaction uh, when you heard that this trade was actually going down? Because um, there had been some very, very light whispers up until yes. that moment about the OBJ trade, mm-hmm. of which I heard and I said, nah, that ain't happening. <laughs> There's no way the Giants trade him. Not only is he a great receiver in his prime, but he's an icon and he's in New York. Yes. Like, there is no more iconic current professional athlete in our game right now for the young generation than Odell Beckham. Every kid in America wants to be Odell Beckham. Yes. Every kid under 25, let's call it. Right. 32 if you count me. And and Andrew Hawkins. Yes. And I, I'd, I'd like to be him too. It sounds like I mean, a pretty decent on. life. We definitely trade him for at least a week. <laughs> trade him lives for a week. Would yeah, you not do that? I would do it for a week. That He seems to have fun. Yes. He, he seems to like he has a good time. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you, man. I always say, Ant, or not Antonio Brown, who is also an incredible player. But I also was say. also traded. Yeah, also traded. We'll talk about that. But I always say OBJ is like the most transcending player of this generation. And I don't mean that just from a sports perspective. Like if you look at anything I've ever said about OBJ, whether on this show, whether on ESPN, whether on any sports media, radio, broadcast, you name it. I say he is the most talented receiver in the game. Mm. And it's a, it's a mix. It's not just the way he runs routes. It's not just his hands, which are the best hands I've ever seen. Mm. It's not just his change of direction. It's not just his speed. He was just born to play the position. He's not a huge guy. So his skill, his technique is just something that comes natural to him. I remember we, we played him, um, I think it was 2016, and I had to stand up on the sideline. Typically when the offense is off the field, like me and you, we're sitting on the bench, we're getting our water, we're not worried about what's going on with the defense. But I had to get up and watch this guy play because I was in awe of how effortless it was to him. I don't know if you remember in the middle of that game, he decided to put himself in as a punt returner. So they no. were like, oh, OJ, OB, OBJ's returning, OBJ's returning. And so the, the, the punt team is like super heightened. He's looking over to the sideline. He's talking, <laughs> talking mess to us. So I get up. I'm like, oh, I got to see this. Uh-huh. He catches it. He pauses for like two minutes. He like dances around just like messing with the defense. Boom, house call. Just like that. Like 
He he came before the play and told us he was going to return it for a touchdown, and that's exactly what he did. That kind of skill wow. is rare, right? That's not even including the cool factor he has, which is what the kids gravitate to, the blonde hair. How many kids have you now seen with blonde hair trying their hardest to make one-hand catches? People do that in games now because Odell made the one-hand catch such a big deal, right? So I'm just trying to paint the picture of why OBJ is – the transcending athlete well, right. that he is. That, that catch that he made was the iconic catch of the last 20 years in the NFL. Easily. Maybe of all time. You can go back and, and argue with some of the other famous catches that they were more impactful because it right. came in bigger moments. Exactly. But has anybody made a more difficult catch? I don't Probably think so. Not. I don't think I like I there's no I could try that catch literally 10,000 times <laughs> and I wouldn't make it one time. Right. Like, it, that was a fingertip draped all over him. Three fingers. But beyond that, right, here he is. He is now a Cleveland Brown. And to give back background, if you remember, I tweeted hearing crazy rumors. And typically, like you said, the conversation started happening on Twitter, like certain people here. Nobody, like, super credible or, like, really had anything to yeah. say. So you. Yeah, so me, right? But usually, All the guys that you think would stir up shit. <laughs> and actually not have anything, would just throw stuff out there. We're throwing stuff out right. there. So you. So and and you know what? I'm am I gonna say that I wouldn't just stir up stuff to stir up shit? <laughs> yes, of course I would. But this I actually had real information. And usually where there's smoke, there's fire, right? There was enough mm-hmm. people talking about it. So essentially I talked to a couple of sources that have to be unnamed in South Sports Media Works. And they were like, Yes, it's a real deal because there's a couple of teams that were basically bidding against the Browns. Really? to make this trade happen. And that also affected AB's market because here you have two incredible wide receivers, right? Two difference makers, probably the top two guys outside of Julio um, in the league, and they're both available for trade. Mm. The only difference is one of them's way younger. So if you're going to trade for one of the top receivers who who brings you a little bit of the off-field antics, you're usually going to err on the side of the younger one. So there were teams that were chasing OBJ, and they were like, okay, well, we'd rather have OBJ than AB. And a lot of those teams missed out on both of them. But the Browns, they were able to get it done, man. So why do you think the market for AB went third and fifth round pick uh-huh. versus the market for Odell was first, third, and a player? He's older. It's that simple. 30 versus 26? Once you hit 30, I don't care how good you are, they devalue you as a wide receiver. Oh. Nobody signs their biggest deals past the age of 30. It doesn't make sense. Teams aren't going to give up that kind of capital for an older receiver, especially with A.B. saying, like, yo, I don't even need the game. I get it from A.B.'s perspective because he's like, I don't want to go to a place that isn't going to value my opinion and let me be the guy that I want to be at this stage of my career. And he doesn't care if that turns some teams off. And from the team's perspective, who may be on the fence, they're going to say, well, I don't want to bring him in here. He doesn't want to be here. And then he just leaves after a year and we're just left in the cold, right? Before a younger guy, Odell can't say that. Odell's not going to come out and say, I don't need football right now. He's too early in his career. He has too much money to be made and too much football to play. So they could say, well, we bring Odell in, regardless of whether you know it's a match made in heaven, regardless of whether he repeats the success he's had in New York, he's still going to be here for the next four to five years. He still has to give it his all, and he's still going to play in the game of football. So what do you think the competing offers looked like that the Browns had to beat in order to get OBJ? 
Because you said there was some other teams yeah. fighting for him from what you've heard. My guess is that it, it would have to be a higher pick in the first round. Like, that's the only thing. Unless they were, they were going to give two first, unless it was the team that, like, was picking 27th and said, hey, we'll give you a 27th, a first round this year and a first round next year, mm. which I don't think – I think that's a little too rich Yeah. Um, for, for the OBJ market. So it had to be somebody who had either – more of a need mm-hmm. that the Giants are looking for as a player, yeah. or have a higher first-round pick to give up. Well, that, that's a good point that you brought up. Uh, Jabril Peppers was the other player that was involved in the OBJ trade mm-hmm. outside of the first and the third rounder. Uh, what was your take on him being involved? Do you think that's going to be a big hole that the Browns are going to have to fill? What did you think of him as a player, and how does he fit with the Giants? I like Jabril Peppers. I really did. I think he was super athletic. Um, sometimes he kind of struck me as a – jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There wasn't the one thing where we're like, yo, we know this isn't going to happen because Jabril Peppers is there, mm-hmm. right? There's do-it-all safeties, and then there's guys who you know are box safeties that if you get caught over the middle, mm-hmm. he's going to decapitate somebody. Mm-hmm. And that kind of helps police the middle and the throwing in, in the middle of the field. Or there's a guy who is a ball hawk, like a Tyshawn, Tyshawn Gibson, mm-hmm. who, yeah, is he the number one safety in the league? No, but we knew if a ball was in Tyshawn's vicinity, he was picking it off. Mm-hmm. If his hands touched it, it was an interception. He created turnovers. Mm-hmm. So with Jabril, I think he would he's going to grow into that player, but he's just like a solid, solid safety to me. Mm-hmm. I think it's good for New York, who was in a rebuilding phase. Obviously, mm-hmm. they didn't bring Landon Collins back, who I think is the best safety in the game. And for us, I don't think it's it leaves a void that we can't fill. Who do you think fills it? Draft? Eric Berry? Because that's one of the rumors out Eric there. Eric Berry. Like, obviously, you don't know how healthy is Achilles is, but – there's that connection. Yes. John Dorsey, Eric Berry, the Chiefs just cut him. He was mm-hmm. such a great safety for those guys for a long time. Uh, he could be maybe the guy that naturally fits into that role. I like the idea of Eric Berry. What Barry. are you hearing? What are the tea leaves telling you about Eric Berry? I'm not hearing tea leaves. I'm not going to sit up here and lie like I usually would. But <laughs> I would love the addition of Eric Berry to, yeah. this, to this team. From a leadership standpoint, yeah. from – I mean, even that alone, you're going to have so many personalities in there. Mm-hmm. Eric Berry is a guy who looked cancer in the face and beat it. Mm-hmm. Like, that kind of resilience, that kind of fight, like, that's what this locker room needs. Even if he gets hurt, which obviously you would never wish that on anybody. You want him to play mm-hmm. as many games as possible and be a really, really big impact. That leadership alone, mm-hmm. to me, for this collection of personalities, I think would be huge for that mm-hmm. defense. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I agree. Actually, now that I'm starting to look at the roster top to bottom, you're saying, wow. It's littered, the Browns roster we're talking, littered with young, talented players. But then that also starts to make me think, okay, Dorsey needs to make sure he has the right balance of veteran leaders in that locker room because there is a lot of strong personalities. You talk about Baker, one of the most outspoken quarterbacks this league has ever seen. (laughs) And he's as only a rookie. Right. And then Jarvis, we all know about him from his time last year on Hard Knocks. And then Odell, everybody knows all of his background and some of the baggage that he brings with him. And mm-hmm. I think the hope is that in Cleveland with um, Coach Henry, who was their receivers coach at LSU, yep. and Jarvis Landry, who's his best friend, who we know is a team-first guy, yep. does things the right way, true professional, they're hoping that that environment can kind of keep some of the things that happened in New York that became a little bit of a distraction 
away from the Browns locker room. I don't think it's going to be a distraction. I don't think it's going to. It's good to get him out of New York. I think it's to great honest, to get him out of New York. New York, L.A., that's a tough market for a lot of guys to play in because there are so many distractions. Right. There is so much going on Cleveland. from an entertainment standpoint. Not that Cleveland yep. doesn't have it, but it's easy to get caught up when you're in that New York, L.A. market with the celebrities and the Hollywood exactly. life and forget that, oh, yeah, I need to go and show up to practice tomorrow, so yep. I can't be out till four, five, six in the morning hanging out with celebrities. If you're in Cleveland, there's like for an athlete, there's like four places to go, total. Like one is your house, one is my house, which I, my house parties are legendary. The other is LeBron's barbershop, LeBron's barbershop, Bath, to, Ohio. To get all the all the shit you want to talk about off your chest, you go down to LeBron's so, barbershop. Speaking of, and then rumors and Barley House. <laughs> yes. So since um, we're employees of LeBron. Do you think we could just stop by his house there in Ohio next time we're in town and just let's try get it? Cut up. I think so. Can I get the invite to the barbershop? I am. I will house? start a petition to get Joe Thomas on the shop. I, I just I, I just be want to for anything in there, and I want to get edged up. I just want to see you walk in, June look Bug. around, and then walk out. Yeah, I'll get out of work too. I want Junebug to edge me up. Who is Junebug? Junebug is the Browns barber. He's the okay. guy that comes in like every. Friday for sure, but then I think he even maybe come in, comes in on like a Monday and Tuesday also, okay. like during the season a couple days a week. All right, because as you know, guys like to get edged up before game day you because they the want to look right. nice. You got to look know? nice, man. And when you're keeping it high and tight, you got to see that barber at least every week. I just want a shot in the shop, the shop where the cameras are rolling, they're talking. You like fling the door open, look around, like oh wrong barbershop, and then just walk out like that. <laughs> alone. Cost cutters. That, yeah. That's me walking into cost cutters. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, this is my style. Yeah. So, but yeah. So okay. So OBJ. The other thing I want to talk about is Baker Mayfield and OBJ personality. I think OBJ's personality kind of ate up Eli Manning. Eli Manning. Yeah. He was a veteran. Obviously, he's a good player. His career is incredible. Will be a Hall of Famer. Um, and he was like kind of past like really caring. Um, as far as like, <laughs> like he's not catering to young guys. He's well, not. that's the problem. It's Odell is a different generation. Yes, you know, and there's a disconnect. There is, and so it's it's neither of their faults really. But how do you relate to somebody when you're you're Eli Manning? Mm -hmm. You're 38 years old. You grew up sort of a good old boy that just kind of likes to drink beer and stay out of the, the limelight. You're yep. not a media guy, and then here you are, L Odell, who's like. The number one media guy yeah. as an NFL player, the Instagram, the Twitter, paparazzi, the paparazzi. I mean, he is—he's a superstar, a superstar above level of most athletes. Yes, and so him and Eli are hanging out. What do they even talk about, right? Exactly. If it's not football, what other commonalities do they have? Like right. you and me, we bonded over a lot of commonalities. Like right. even though our careers started in different places, we were sort of at the same place in our career once yes. we met in Cleveland, and mm -hmm. so we had a lot of cool, fun things to talk about. That's we're why dads. we have. We are. We both have dad bods. We have dad bods. We're plus. We were plus thirty. There was no other kids that were plus thirty on that team. Or plus like twenty two at the we time. We both work hard, and but we love to eat. Um, we mostly we mostly bonded over like eating, which is like a very very thing. Which that, from last which is probably time why I we're checked, growing apart now because you look like you're disintegrating <laughs> right in front of well, me. Well, last time I checked, everybody eats, so I <laughs> I have that in common with everybody. I guess right, true, very true. But with Baker and Odell, it's different, right? So even when Odell is Same like generation, when he's like insinuating that something's Eli's fault or something like that, you know, if there's a rift. Eli just doesn't care. Like yeah, he's, he's like, not gonna like. He's like, yeah, whatever. Take him to dinner. I don't think it'll happen in Cleveland because Baker Mayfield's personality is different. 
I think they'll have a mutual understanding. I think they'll vibe a lot better. I think they'll hopefully have an open lines of communications that they understand each other. They're from that generation. Mm-hmm. And also, from what we've seen of Baker Mayfield, if you call him out, he is not a guy who's going to gloss over it. No. You know, so I think everyone will understand that, okay, we're all very similar, so this is how we need to do things. And our, our number one goal is first playoffs and then obviously a world championship. I think they have the team right now. I think right now the Cleveland Browns are a playoff team, and I, I would bet a large portion of my money that in 2019 they are going to win the AFC North. Yeah, they're going to be the favorites. They're, I, I'm booking it. I will put 10 cases of Mountain Dew on it right oh, now. You're real serious. I man. will put my Hall of Fame inductee. <laughs> well, I don't want to bet against you because I agree with you. And okay, I'd like so we're to good. I see them win, so I don't think there's anybody <laughs> in this room that's going to take your bet. But right. I think the, the point is valid, though. If you look at the AFC right now and you look at how quickly those other three teams in the AFC North specifically have fallen off from a talent mm-hmm. standpoint, and they're all hoping – to be able to reload it, right. but we don't know. You have to project that, right? Yep. But from the Browns' standpoint, they have proven commodities right now that they've been adding after getting seven wins last year. So everyone's going to naturally assume also because Baker's in his second year, he gets a full offseason, and they've loaded up on all this extra talent that they're going to be the favorites in the division. There you go. Speaking of the talent roster, let's, let's talk about another signing we haven't actually got a chance to get to. Kareem Hunt, mm. Toledo alumni is now a Cleveland Brown, right? And I think it, just today the, the news came out of what his suspension will be for the 2019 season, which is eight games. Mm-hmm. Obviously a lot of conversation around Kareem with the video of him assaulting a young lady, I think, in Cleveland um, about a little over a year ago. Kansas City Chiefs cut ties with him. Everybody was kind of speculating whether or not his career was over. And we here on the show said multiple times that he's too young and too talented for his career to be over. Somebody was going to sign them. I don't think we anticipated that it would be the Cleveland Browns. No, but we're stupid for not thinking that they're the first choice. 1,000% dummies. He's from Northeast Ohio. Yes. Went to Toledo. Yes. He's from Willoughby, right? Yes. So from Willoughby, went to Toledo. Dorsey drafted him. Yes. Dorsey already has a history of being willing to – accept some backlash from the NFL and from fans mm-hmm. for making some questionable signings yep. because he realizes these guys are going to make my team better. And they're not bad locker room guys necessarily. Right. They may have had some off-the-field issues that we're going to have to try to deal with and we're going to put the structures in place. But as far as the makeup of that locker room, he's not going to bring in a turd sandwich. Right. And from all accounts, Kurt, uh, Kareem is not. A turd sandwich. And they know each other, right? A good person. Think about like people that you know that have done, you know, dumb stuff or bad stuff. Like we all have family. Every one of us has family members like that or that have done something or like been involved in something. And even though whatever that thing is is horrible or bad or disappointing, they're still your family. They're still your friend, right? And it's weird to like make that disconnect between the act in the person, but for the people that are actually a part of that relationship, they're like, yo, this is, that's still my cousin. That's still my friend. That's still my whatever. I felt like when they, this happened, that's like went to my mind with, yeah, with Dorsey. With Dorsey. They yeah. had that connection that, yeah, it was almost right, a, wrong, or indifferent. Connection he was like, well, shoot, this is, I still pick this guy because of this reason. We have a relationship. I think he's a good yeah. kid. I think, you know, it's it a, seemed like that relationship was really important as to right. why he felt comfortable signing Kareem. Because exactly. He's like, I know the person and I knew him well before all this happened. Yep. 
and he felt, I think, maybe that necessarily this was a horrible decision, but it wasn't indicative of who he is as a person. Right. I think maybe that would be the distinction he's trying to make in his mind. Uh, as I step into the wonderful old man white New Balance sneakers of John Dorsey <laughs> and the stained white sweatshirt that he wears every day. Tell me this. What was your initial thoughts when you seeing Kareem Hunt was signed like just around the conversation because obviously yeah. they knew there was going to be backlash mm -hmm. in making that signing like there's a lot of people who didn't love it Browns fans who just care about the football product which is a large majority That's, most fans they, they just want to see wins and losses and they don't care how the sauce is, is made exactly but everywhere else the conversation right. was should this signing have happened we knew it was going to happen we knew some team was going to take yeah. the chance but it's always different when it's your team right so what were your thoughts when the Cleveland Browns made the announcement that they were signing Kareem Hunt? I'm not sure uh, if if I dove into it from a fan perspective much in my brain. Um, yeah. I don't know why. I was just like, oh, wow. At first, I guess my first reaction was, oh, wow, I'm surprised. And then as soon as I started putting the pieces together in my head, I'm like, oh, well, that makes total sense. Yeah. Dorsey drafted him in Kansas City. Dorsey's been willing to take chances on guys with off-the-field problems, mm -hmm. a la Callaway when he drafted him. Yep. And uh, so then I'm like, it makes sense. Somebody was going to take a, a flyer on him. They were going to just make sure enough time has passed. Right. And then sign him in a quiet news cycle, period, mm -hmm. so that they don't have maximum backlash. And then they hope that after the commissioner suspends him and he's able to go through the treatment process that the NFL is going to surely lay out for him to be able to get back into the league, uh, I think the hope is that everybody is able to put that behind Mm -hmm. him and he's able to prove that he's a better new person going forward eight game suspension does that sound that's about what, you right know to you? all week on nfl network we were talking about kareem hunt right how does mm -hmm. he impact the odell beckham situation how is he going to influence the team and everyone was kind of thinking yeah eight games is about what they'd been hearing mm -hmm. these are like the insider people right, right. not not me i don't have any <laughs> yeah. insider knowledge you weren't talking to me wing it. i wasn't <laughs> i wasn't asking like, i think Hawkins. it'll be 77 games no, in my mind like, nfl network's got a whole roster of insiders that all they do is just text and bother people in in the nfl right. uh and they had all said yeah, we think it's about eight games so they should get him for the second half of the season mm -hmm. which when he comes back it's like holy crap how do the Browns possibly distribute the football to all these guys that are going to want their touches? What's your take? I'm, I'm dying to hear what you think about that. because Give, give me the names of the people okay, who are going to be wanting to touch the ball. Uh, first of all, Odell Beckham. Yes. Second of all, Jarvis Landry. Yes. Then it's going to be Antonio Callaway. Those are their top three receivers. Yep. All, all number ones, basically. Yep. David Njoku. Yep. Nick Chubb. Yep. Duke Johnson. Yep. Kareem Hunt. Okay. Right, right there already. That's seven dudes that are going to want 10-plus touches a game. couple things. Number one, Callaway will be the deep ball guy. Probably not going to get a bunch of the catches. Probably not going to be as much of a focal point as he was as a rookie, only because they have now literally the two most productive receivers in the first couple years of their career in NFL history. Well, except for the – two that I'm looking at right now on this sheet of paper. Yeah, I mean outside of this duo. Outside of that duo. Brian Hartline and Andrew Hawkins. Which we'll, we'll get to that because there is a very very <laughs> funny point to that that we we have to talk about. Outside of this duo. So Callaway will kind of be he'll get to learn, he'll get to see, he'll get to mature in in, in a natural state with the, these two top receivers ahead of him. 
a bigger key will be Rashad Higgins, who will be a security blanket to Baker Yeah, we didn't Mayfield. even talk about him. Yeah, he is like— He's their fourth. He's their <laughs> professional. He'll play their slot, big slot, smart, has good feel. Him and Baker obviously have chemistry and rapport. Love Hollywood. He's a security blanket for Baker. He'll be super important. Take a little pressure off Njoku. Incredible talent. The chief is like chiseled, athletically a freak. He really thrived when Baker took over the reins. In the backfield, though, I think they deal Duke Johnson before the season. If I put my, 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 Duke, my Duke Johnson shoes on, which I think he signed to Adidas, so if, I, if I put my Duke Johnson Adidas on, if I'm him, I say, I'm not showing up until you trade me, right? Because you made the determination that Kareem Hunt is your number two. Obviously, Nick Chubb is the workhorse. That's your one-two punch. For the Browns, like you said, sometimes there's too many cooks in the kitchen. So I don't think Duke being part of that equation, I think it just muddies the waters for them. Not a bad thing. It's not that, oh, man, Duke, we, you know, you, you did this. Or Duke was like, man, I hate the Browns. From a Duke perspective, it's like, yo, whatever. It's you've a made, professional career decision. Yeah, like you've made your decision. Like, just let me go do my thing. You obviously have your guys. I don't want to sit here as a backup plan to whatever. Like, Kareem's out eight games. Are you going to keep me for eight games and then trade me? I'm not oh, showing up. That's a great up. point. That's a great question. Is I'm that, not is doing that it. what they would do? If I'm Duke, I'm not doing it. I'm just putting my, my Duke shoes on, mm-hmm. and I'm saying – Yo, I am not coming to OTAs. I'm not coming to anywhere. Deal me. You made your determination. Let me go lay my roots down somewhere else. Duke is an incredible player. Obviously, me and you are huge fans. We don't feel like they used Duke the way that he should have been, not should have been used, like as much as he could have been utilized. People don't like. He's He's a real talent. Real talent. Bigger back than people realize. He can, you know, run inside, run outside. And the biggest thing that I love about Duke is when I was a receiver there, he would come do receiver drills with us. And I kid you not, he had the best routes of wow. on the team. Like outside of me, obviously, because I'm pretty good. My routes are we me and Brian Hartline were a pretty hard to guard duo. Um but yeah, he ran routes like a wide receiver. He is very much in the Alvin Camara role mode. So I think a team could take him and really like make him a star. And if I'm Duke at this point in my career, yeah. you've already taken a deal, didn't go to free agency with the Browns, like yeah. give me the courtesy of going somewhere else and laying my roots down. Yeah, I think that's that's probably fair. Let me ask you X's and O's here. Dig in from a uh, receiver standpoint. All right. Mm-hmm. So you've got Odell, you've got Jarvis, you've got Njoku, you've got Callaway. Those are sort of your top targets probably. Um, how are teams going to defensively approach the Browns and what sort of coverages and what sort of defenses can you try to play to be able to take away these guys? Dude, I don't even know. I, I'm serious. Great there answer. Is, there is there is no there's literally no holes. It's like when you when you put an uh, offense together like that, it's like how did you stop the Chiefs? You didn't stop the Chiefs. Yeah. Nobody could stop. So what do you the just Chiefs. try to keep them? In, you know, play deep, play cover three. Say nobody nobody get behind you. Just exactly. Keep everything in front. You keep just every, no deep balls. You keep everything in front, and you probably play it with offense. You just go into track meets. Like yeah. we have to score as many points as you. You put a safety back there that hopefully strikes fear in Odell or maybe Jarvis or maybe in Joku. Head hunting back there. Yeah, like a for instance, a la the Ravens and Earl Thomas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you load up that back end, a guy who can affect the run game and the passing game, and hope you can just mitigate some of those so schemes and talents that you're essentially just hoping to die by paper cuts. Yes. Just yes. don't let Callaway or Odell catch an eighty yard pass. And it's gonna be hard. I, I am telling you, like, this offense is is stacked. Obviously, everyone knows that. But, I like, dude, I don't think they're going to be able to stop this offense at all. 
Like, I don't think this offense ever stalls. How, how does Baker manage in the locker room all those personalities? Baker has a personality that people just gravitate to anyway. Like, the thing about Baker is he's not fake. He is who he is. Now, does he have, you know, certain parts of his personality that need developing? Yeah, everybody does. We all have our blind spots. Mm-hmm. But among anything, it's like coaches. We always liked coaches who we felt were transparent. Like, that's how Baker is, and I feel like players gravitate to that. Like, yeah. they're going to follow his lead. He's too busy focused on winning, focused on being the best, to care about all the other stuff. So if you're not aligned with that with Baker, mm-hmm. he's probably going to weed you out himself. Like, yeah. you won't even be a factor in his mind because you're not on board with this. So in order to get in Baker's good graces, you have to be aligned with winning. And that's, mm-hmm. what, that's what the second half of the Browns, that's what was so exciting to fans because you can tell – Oh, these guys are trying to win. Any situation, it didn't matter whether we were going to the playoffs. It didn't matter, you know, what the score was. They were trying to win week in and week out, and that mm-hmm. collection is what's going to turn this entire franchise around. Yeah, Baker, he is hyper-competitive, that's for sure. Um, all right, Browns, 2019 draft. They don't have a first-round pick anymore. Where are the needs on this roster right now looking at this season? Obviously not a wide receiver, right? Not at – the running back position, not at the quarterback position, not at the tight end position. Um, rumblings are trying to, sh- they're shopping Emmanuel Ogba, but from a defensive line standpoint, like rushing the quarterback, I think they're pretty set. They cut ties with uh, Jamie Collins. Collins. Christian Kirksey will be back from injury. So maybe you get a young linebacker. Mm-hmm. Does that sound about right? Showbert is obviously a beast. Um, but I think the problem with Jamie is that he was he was making so much money, and I don't know if the the, the money justified the impact mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that lockdown corner, and um, you can never have enough corners. You can never have enough corners. Corners, I would say, receivers, defensive linemen. Those are the, in my opinion, the three positions you can never have enough because if you've got extra weapons at those positions you can find a way to get them on the field and it creates matchup problems for the other side of the football but that's a good position to be in because now we're drafting for injury you know what i mean like we're like in case guys get injured we have this that's how you know you're really turning the corner from a roster standpoint right r.i.p sashi brown yeah should we talk about sashi we should talk about Sashi. how much credit does sashi deserve for the state of the franchise right now we all have roles man like you know like it's not for instance, we talked about Hollywood Higgins. Is Hollywood going to catch 100 balls in the year and lead the team in receiving? No. But there'll be a crucial third down in a crucial game where he'll be the guy to make the big play. Does that say, oh, we can't give him credit because he didn't have the most yards of the day or he didn't have all of the headlines? No. That was still an integral part of that game, that win, that process. That's how you use Sashi Brown. I don't know if Sashi would have made those same signings, tradings, draft picks. Maybe not. That's why you bring Dorsey in because he can spot talent. But the blank canvas that Dorsey came in with, mm-hmm. that was Sashi. That this is a part. This is year four of the quote unquote five year plan. Yeah. Now I don't. Again, I don't know within that plan if they were going to bring somebody in who understood talent, understood you know basically building a team from a talent perspective. But say what you want, but the cap space, the draft picks, mm-hmm. that was all at the hands of Sashi, who was fired, and at the hands of guys like me and you who. Had to go into games with a team that we knew couldn't win every week. 
we were in World War One. We're part we of this were on the same the, way. The front line of the trenches, yes. and they said, "All right, get up." Or no, the Civil War. Yes. get up and run towards that line of <laughs> yes. people that are firing at you. And we're like, we took all, all right, the bullets. I guess that's what we signed up for. So all the guys in the back, <laughs> when they had no other bullets, they could beat them up. <laughs> that's right. We got shot at the front of the line. <laughs> we were the ones that knew they were getting shot. Exactly. Uh, it's interesting. I think to myself, like Sashi, obviously when he took over tried to sell the Haslams on a five-year plan. Like, mm-hmm. look, we're going to rip this down to the studs. We're going to trade most of our draft picks in the first couple years to, to move back, to accumulate picks later on in, in later seasons. It's the time value of draft picks, right? Mm-hmm. You give me a dollar today, it's worth less in, in two years. If, if, if you give me a, a dollar right now, I'm going to expect some interest on it, yep. right? Yep. Um, it's the same thing with draft picks. When you're a general manager, you don't want to save draft picks for future years because you, you might be not going to be there. <laughs> it's going to be somebody else's draft picks. It's going to be somebody else. So you always want to try to use your draft picks and your salary cap space because if you're going to save it, you're going to have probably a worse team and you're going to get fired. So you don't want to save resources for somebody else. No. So a one today has to get traded for two ones next year. Yep. And so that was essentially the Browns' philosophy and the Sashi Brown uh, strategy was look, we're not going to make the playoffs these first couple years. So instead of spending all of our resources in years, we we're not going to make the playoffs uh, to to get to 500, let's say, uh, and then have crappier draft picks. Let's just have the first pick in these two drafts will be the worst team in the league, mm-hmm. but we'll save space and under the salary cap, we'll trade back into future years for more draft picks and then in year three four five we're going to have all this ability to collect talent and then by year five we're going to be really stinking good yep and that's kind of the plan that's worked out perfectly however (laughs) for sashi he wasn't able to see it through because the first two years were so bad and so painful that nobody could tolerate it so i'm wondering myself i would love to have sashi on and ask him like what part of that strategy did you overlook that got you fired? Yes. Like, did you not realize how painful those two years were going to be for everybody that they then wouldn't be able to pallet your strategy any further after that? Because like you said, nobody's been able to walk into a better situation in general manager football history than the situation that John Dorsey walked into. (laughs) And people were like, why would he take this job? And me and you were like, are "Are you you serious? Have you seen? What other job is there? This is, like, perfect. But I'm wondering if now Sashi, knowing what he knows now, was there anything he would have done differently? I'm 100% sure. Or would he have gone in there and said, you know what, even if they do fire me after these two years, this is the best strategy, and I'm willing to live and die by the sword? Like, this is the best way to do it, and if I did it any other way, I would be being dishonest to my own brain. Did you? Do you remember his statement when he left the Browns after he got fired? I don't. It was essentially that. I can't remember the I can't remember the exact words, but he was basically saying on the way out the door, like, hey, I appreciate Cleveland. Loved my time there. This strategy will work. You're gonna be a winner in the next three years. Yeah. I'll see you soon. That's basically like a synopsis of what his yeah. out the door speech was. Yeah. And I'll be damned if he wasn't right. Well he was right. And unfortunately for the vets in the locker room like you and me, we right. saw what was happening. Yes. And so even though maybe I actually agreed with the strategy, 
it's still hard when you're living it because you are still the soldiers that have to run exactly at the other side that's shooting bullets at you know you're gonna die and you've and you even have unique perspective even though you were the one getting in the front lines taking all the l's i'm like yeah this is the way you've been there for 11 years you were like the other strategies don't work yeah (laughs) yeah exactly so you know it's sashi was moses ask him moses never made it to the promised land it's a great point led them out of egypt so do you think, let me ask you this now, now that the Browns have kind of turned it around, thanks to what Sashi did, do you think Sashi gets another crack at being a pseudo general manager, sort of like a strategy guy? Because he did set him up in an amazing way. Now he sacrificed his own career. And yeah. basically when he got fired, everyone was like, this is the biggest joke of all time. But now they're seeing the strategy right. work. So the perspective on him and his time as a GM has changed a little bit. If a little I'm, bit like the Sam Hinkie, right? Right. If I'm Sashi, I keep the same mind that I had. I make tweaks here and there, understanding. Because everyone could say they don't care about people's opinion until something happens. You log on Twitter and people are berating you with tweets, like literally cursing you out, calling your mother this, doing this. And you could say as much as you want that you don't care. That is hard to like go through. That's what the Browns had to go through for those two or three years. Mm-hmm. So you can say all you want that, oh, yeah, five years, we can make it through the hard times to get to the promised land. But when that fan pressure mounts, yeah. like that bus pipes, right? So I don't know if five years is realistic for any organization who wants to turn it around. It's a long time in football. Very But painful. for Sashi, I do think it's a little bit of a vindication to be like, yeah, yeah. this is what the possibilities. This, this is what we talked about. Honestly, being that the first time this strategy was tried in the NFL, you didn't have a track record. You had nothing to point to to say, look, it's going to get better. It's working. Right. This is this is my strategy. This is exactly how I wanted it to play out. Now, I may not have realized how painful the two years of losing mm-hmm. were or are or are going to be, but it's been done before. And now that it has been done before, I feel like Sashi, if he ever gets another opportunity – can easily point to what happened in Cleveland and say, look, the strategy works. You just got to stick with it. We're going to have Sashi on. I'm going to call Sashi. We're going to get him on the show. We're going to talk about it. And then me and you are going to do a documentary about the turnaround of the Cleveland Browns. And we're going to deep dive into all of this. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be Academy Award winning just like this podcast. Can we get back to this tweet real quick from 2015, 310 Mm. on my birthday? And it wasn't even from your account. It wasn't from my account. It was from the Cleveland Browns. Official Twitter account. 31015. This is right after free agency. We had signed Dwayne Bowe and Brian Hartline. And the tweet says Brian Hartline and Andrew Hawkins could form hard to guard duo at wide receiver. And it was about how teams should be scared of that duo. Now, me, as much as I love myself, and I do, Joe, your self love is very <laughs> well, important. You to have me. a bust of yourself. I have a in bust. In this room that you <laughs> yes. apparently bring to work with you every day because right. I high- only <laughs> have one example of being in your office and the bust is there. And I'm a, I was, it just happened to be my Hall of Fame induct inductee celebration so <laughs> surprised your family and kids weren't here to see that that was honestly, a special moment that was a special moment but okay so they wrote this article and even i remember this article came out and i remember like rolling my eyes a little bit because i'm like dude this is like even a fo- the football mind in me was like this is kind of all right me and heartline like i am a number three i am a slot receiver <laughs> exclusively i did when i came to cleveland i remember telling them like hey you 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 could be it i'm like no i i, I took a three a three deal to be a three. I don't. <laughs> I want to be the wait, slot. Wait, wait, wait. This like is this, not what we agreed to, guys. Yeah, don't try to don't try to make me do more work than I'm being paid for. Like I'm I'm a businessman first. Yes. So, but the funny part about this tweet 
Four years later, here we are with a literal hard-to-guard duo in Jarvis Landry and OBJ. <laughs> Maybe that's what they were talking about. <laughs> they, they were talking about in 2019. Because they're this, so uh, bad, they could form a, a hard-to-guard duo four years from now. <laughs> we don't know who it is, but it's coming. You're right. It's cra- yes. incredible foresight. By their crappiness, you're going to get a lot of draft picks, <laughs> and somewhere down the line, you will get a hard-to-guard duo that will look like Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham. <laughs> who would have thought? But you know what the funniest part? about this tweet is now when I dug this up because I remembered it as soon as they signed Odell Beckham I searched it on Twitter found it sent it to you to tweet out and make fun of me which you did beautifully by the way when I screenshotted it to you look at can you read the first comment under this tweet so that viewers can hear it so Conrad cause Mm -hmm. at Conrad cause from 2015 said Maybe for me, sure. <laughs> so this is a fan. So this is a fan that says he may have a hard time guarding yeah. both of you at the same time. Like, yeah, maybe I can't guard him, but as far as the NFL is concerned, no. Do you worried. know what the funniest part about that tweet is? And Tell I didn't me. realize this when I sent the screenshot to you. Do you know Conrad now sits right beside me here at Uninterrupted and works no. for the company? The guy that was trolling you. The guy who was Twitter trolling me. Now is your boss. On my birthday. On your birthday. Four years ago. He oh, says good morning to me every on day. On Andrew Hawkins Day. He's a diehard Cleveland Browns fan, so hey. we've made that connection. On this tweet, he was the first trolling account that said, yeah, for me, sure. Hey, I know it's L.A., and it's before 10 o'clock, and he's not here yet. But when he gets here, let's put him in a headlock and beat him up. I am 100% we can't tolerate that beating up fans. We can't tolerate fans trolling no. us. I, now I'm reverting back to being a professional athlete. That's he was right. my co-worker <laughs> need to block his yesterday, ass. today. He's getting he's getting a pause put on him. He said something mean about me. I need to block him. <laughs> I need to block him. Exactly. He's probably blocked. He's probably, he's probably a co-worker. You were that asshole that blocked everybody. I used everybody. to block you everybody. everybody. Like, oh, nice opinion you got there. Block. block. Oh, you don't like the Browns? I don't like you. Block. The funny part is he's not even in today. Well, the one day his family's in town. right in Hollywood. Hey, welcome to Hollywood. Nobody comes into work. All right. What we got next? They could Let's work play. for Texas. Did you hear about Vince Young? No. He had the he had the, the easy, cushy gig in Texas and never showed up, and so they had to fire him. <laughs> 100000 a year. Wait a minute. You wanted me to come to work every day? He's like, wait a minute. I had to go to work? I thought that was just to use my name and branding. The, the great quote that he put out there was, I do my work better in the streets. <laughs> That's why I didn't come to work. So I'll let you use that one. I am when definitely. Conrad gives you your uh, your uh, quarterly report on your <laughs> job performance and says, "You know, Hawk, it'd be great if you showed up to work once in a while." <laughs> I, do, I do my work I do better, better in, the in the streets. You know what? We're gonna bring Conrad on the show. He's coming on the next wow, Tomahawk. I can't wait. Let's talk free agency, man. We got Antonio Brown traded from the Pittsburgh Steelers to the Oakland Raiders. How are you feeling about that? So it's a weird feeling for me because I'm really happy that AB's not in the AFC North anymore because he's yes. terrorized the Browns for so long. He won, by the way. Uh, he won. He has put together a blueprint on if you are a star at a premium position, this is how you get paid more money and then more money and then more money. Facts. As long as you're willing to destroy your relationships, relationships, reputation and within reputation the reputation as a decent human being, <laughs> you come on the shop. Yeah. You come in the shop, you talk your mess about the quarterback. You know what? But I don't blame A B for this. I am I know you really? are not like an A B okay. supporter as much. And I'm not saying I agree with everything A B has done, but I am I don't know if I'm more team A B as much as I am team anti Big Ben. 
because I still feel you like this don't is his like problem. Ben. Not that I don't like him, man. No, I not think as a, he's not childish. On a personal level, but like yeah. from a quarterback standpoint. I don't like I don't think he's a great leader. Uh. I think with everything we've seen Pittsburgh happen, like as you said, there is a new generation of football player. There is a a value in a leader who can understand the men you are leading and what their goals are what their ideologies are, what their upbringing, what their background, what their personalities are, and figuring out that equation. That's what good leaders do. That's what Tom Brady is magnificent at, leading men who are young enough to be his kids, but they still gravitate to him. He still talks to them in the manner. I've been in that locker room. I've seen him walk up to lunch tables of players that are rookies undrafted he doesn't know and have conversations with them as if he doesn't have a supermodel wife, as if he mm. doesn't make $25 million a year, mm, as if his wife doesn't make $20 million a year, she makes more than that. as if he d- <laughs> is not going to be the owner of the New England Patriots he one day. Be. For Big Ben, all I see from him is place blame, uh, dodge accountability. Mm. You know, like, use. I, I remember a headline that Big Ben, and obviously as a short receiver, this struck a nerve with me. But I remember a headline for him. This is on the heels of maybe, I don't know if it's Antonio Holmes era, Heinz Ward era, whatever it is. He was said something like, well, the biggest issue for us is it would be nice to have a target who's over 6'3 or something like that. So they went and drafted Lima Swede for him in 2008 from the mm. University of Texas, who was a big-time receiver. He was 6'5". Play, played with him in the U.S. Army All-America High School One game. of the top players in the big country guy. coming out of high school. And this guy. was the big guy that Ben wanted. You know what the result was? Nothing. Tell me. Ooh. I can't even tell you what Lima Swede's career stats were. I think he had less than 200 yards in his career. Mm. He still relied on guys like Santonio Holmes, 5'11". Hines Ward, 5'10". Antonio Brown, 5'10". Emmanuel Sanders, 5'10". Juju Smith-Schuster, six foot. Mm. Like, these are people that have helped you shape your career, but it's just there's always an excuse of why you're not at the top. Have you ever heard Tom Brady come out in the public and say what specific style of target he wants to make him better? Or, Or is it the opposite? Or is it that it doesn't matter whatever mailman that New England Patriots decide to sign and start a wide receiver. Wow. He's going to take your, them to the Super Bowl. Present company included. Exactly. Like, yeah, Andrew Hawkins can't ride the biggest roller coaster at Disney World. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Bring him in. With him. Bring him in. So and so. Oh, what does he do? He sells insurance. I bet there's something there that we can figure this out. <laughs> Boom, Super Bowl. It doesn't matter to the greats. That's my problem with Ben. He wants to be in that conversation, but he's not willing to do what yeah. the greats actually do. So I, I will say this is an interesting Tom Brady discussion, and I'll share a little story that I heard. So I've always thought that there's a really big dividing line in our society between people that grew up with social media, especially like middle school, high school, mm-hmm. and pre-social media, right? Yep. I feel like that's sort of the generational gap. And Tom Brady, obviously you and me, we didn't grow up in the generation with social media. so. Right. It's like we talked about earlier, Eli, it's hard to relate to OBJ. Mm-hmm. It's so much different. But I heard that Tom, in the last couple of years, because he wanted to be able to relate to the players in the locker room, and he literally will do anything to be the greatest quarterback of all time. There's mm-hmm. nothing that is below him or above him. Yep. Went out and, and found uh, the music, like the, the different music that he thought the guys in the locker room were listening to, mm-hmm. and just listened to it on repeat to be able to understand it better. And he went to coaching 
like professional counseling, learning how to be able to relate love to millennials. Guy. I love it. And this so guy. that's why he's able to relate to those guys in the locker room, talk about the music they listen to, talk about whatever social media shit they've got going on in their life. I mean, can you imagine? I don't think there's any other quarterback that's ever done that. And a lot of there's a lot of the great quarterbacks in the NFL right now are of that pre-social media generation. So yes. they do have a hard time relating to these young kids. They do. And if you don't embrace it, you kind of lose. And that's Big and ben. ben hasn't done it. He hasn't he hasn't seen it in himself to say, oh, okay, maybe I should adapt with the times. Maybe I should relate. You look at Will Smith, what Will Smith is able to do on social media. He is now the most relatable like dad on social media. That's how Tom Brady is. Honestly, that's how me and you are. Remember we would have the conversations about you getting on Twitter and like, yo, you'd be perfect, but we, you didn't really understand it. Mm, didn't want it either. Didn't want it. Didn't We're want from it. a different generation. Yeah. But think about the opportunities that we've created from doing that. But right. That was, it was a, a good suggestion from you because it really has helped my post-career now, now that I'm trying to get into media. And that, that ability to say, oh, okay, this makes sense for the long term. Let me see the bigger picture. Ben is not great at that with the personalities he's trying to manage in that locker room. And I don't think it's going to get better. You know, luckily, James Conner, who is now the running back, the other superstar, and Juju, are they, they have incredible personalities. They are great guys. The, Pittsburgh is going to cling to them. So I think that they'll figure it out. But the issue, I think, still lies with Ben, to be honest. Let's talk about Le'Veon Bell, speaking of this conversation, in the Steelers locker room. You have some hot takes here. Give me your Le'Veon Bell thoughts. So there's a lot of things to un- unpackage, and we're not going to do all of it, but Le'Veon Bell, if his goal by holding out and not signing the franchise tag was to get the most money possible, he's failed. Failed. Because he turned down about a $14 million one-year deal last season mm-hmm. only to sign a deal that averages under $14 million this season with yep. the Jets. The rumors were that the contract that he got offered last year was bigger than the contract that he signed right now. So basically, he just passed up the opportunity to make $14 million or a long-term deal with the Steelers to sign a smaller deal after passing up that money last year with the Jets. So he lost from that standpoint. He won from a pride standpoint in that he said something, hey, I'm not going to sign the franchise tag, and he stuck with it, which is more than we can say about any other player right. that has been threatened with the franchise tag. Yep. So from a pride standpoint, you got to say, well, he won, and in the end, he still got paid a lot of million dollars. He is going to be the NFL player version of Sashi Brown. He took the shots. He got less money. His career will suffer. But somebody along the way is going to see those learnings, use that as leverage somewhere, and actually win a la Antonio Brown. But here's my argument. I actually think what he did hurts players negotiating leverage in the long run because now – the players and the agents have seen that, well, maybe just because he's a running back, that could mm-hmm. be an argument. But as a whole, they can see that holding out and not signing the franchise tag doesn't work because when you do hit free agency, you're never going to be able to make up the money that you lost. Therefore, that tips the balance of power in the favor of the teams, knowing that players are going to be more desperate to sign a long-term deal or the franchise tag and will look at this case and say, I can't hold out because then Le'Veon Bell is going to happen to me. Instead of like me just going back and agreeing with you and going back and forth, yeah, with don't agree the with different me. ways we agree. We both agree that Le'Veon Bell lost this overall. Yeah. It, I, th- I think he took an L here. Like the level, I agree. the level of which he took the L can be debated. 
but he took an L. Here's how he could have won. And I honest, I really believe this. You can call me an idiot like you usually do. He mm-hmm. signed a franchise tag the season before, correct? And played under the franchise tag. So. And then Maybe. they hit him with another one. If Le'Veon Bell would have held out of the first franchise tag instead of the second, it would have preserved a year on his career. He's a running back. Those running backs expire at a certain age. That's just the way the NFL works. And then in the midst of that holdout, had he been showing as much how hard he was working through that whole process? Because I think that was the biggest thing with Le'Veon. We didn't know what he was doing. Well, yeah, he was that, out of shape. That's the problem. He's not a hard worker. And that's so. the problem. But <laughs> if he was he a was guy who was really pounds. doing it and like – training and showing that it every day and he's live streaming the training he's doing and teams can feel good about yo this guy is a freak when he comes in here he is going to give us his top this is strictly business no he was doing mixtapes he was doing yeah, he was club doing appearances stuff. he was saying openly he was out agent of shape should be fired Bad agent advice. should be fired wasn't advised the right way so that's how i think Le'Veon could have won we have so many things to talk about joe because it's been so long but we're not going to do that yeah, why we're, would we? We're going to cut it off here. We always got to leave them wanting more. Listen, if you are listening, we need you to subscribe, rate the show five stars, anywhere you listen to podcasts. The Tomahawk Show is still figuring out what the next phase is, but there is huge things on the way. You have to trust us. We are coming back in a very, very big way. We'll talk some draft stuff next time we come around. Special shout out to Mountain Dew who came in and, mm-hmm. and showed your boy love. Yeah. Love me some Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew loves them some me. So. Believe, believe it or not, that was the CEO of Mountain Dew. Wow. And the EVP. Wow. All, they flew in here from Private overseas jet. in London. Yes. Just to We're about to do his manufacturing. I think that's where the corporate global headquarters, they may, actually might be in Ireland. That's yes. where a lot of companies are. That's yep. where Apple is. They pay less taxes. There you go. So that's why. But on, on their G550, yep. they flew here just to give you this 12-pack. And that uh, <laughs> cheap replica of sort of yourself. Cheap. It kind of looks like Kevin Durant, but it's I am I am very it was excited about. Actually, a leftover Kevin Durant bobblehead. That, that is going was life size for you, so they just I, changed the. That paint. is going in the middle of my coffee table at my house. <laughs> it does look like so Kevin when you Durant. come over, we're having a tomahawk dinner tonight for anybody listening. Yes, I can't wait. We're having the tomahawk crew is coming to my house. We're having dinner, have some drinks, and this bust of myself will be the centerpiece of the table we eat at. So shout out to Mountain Dew. Um, I think that does it, Joe. Final thoughts? Final thoughts. Uh, wrapping up my week in L.A. Mm-hmm. It's been a great week working for NFL Network. It's been great seeing you finally being able to get a, a podcast in the books yes. in person. In person. In the new Studio 6. Studio 6. Studio 6. West Hollywood, uninterrupted. LeBron just walked past. That was kind of cool. Uh, <laughs> that was the highlight of my day. But. I tell you what, the people in LA have been great all week. Uh, got to see the sun for the first time in like three months. Love it. Was able to not talk about weather, so I can keep my job for one more day. There you go. TD you won't fire me. Piss TD off. And uh, I'd love to do it again. I can't wait to come back. All right. Well, Nat's not here right now. Zerm's not here right now. So NFD is not here right now. Mm. So Joe, take us out. Joe, Hawk, yourself. <laughs> Perfect.